at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been looking at the life of Paul the Apostle. And of course, we've been looking at his life and how he was first called Saul of Tarsus, and very religious man, Pharisee, uh, which is a religious sect of Jews who had it, as we've talked about on many occasions, had a good beginning, but as they progressed, like so many groups have over the years and through history, they, they left their mission of holiness and righteousness, and they focused not on the, on the, the lawgiver, they overemphasized the law. Because of that, when Jesus came, they didn't even recognize the lawgiver. They didn't even recognize the one who gave the law. And that's how messed up they got, and that's what happens often sometimes to religious uh, sects and groups. But we're going to read about his writing to, to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12. Now, I, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm a Paul, and I'm a Paulus, and I have Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And thank God that I, that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, oh no, not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Father, thank you for this morning again. Thank you for everyone who's assembled, Lord, at, at this place, and for those maybe who will be watching or listening later on uh, through the internet. God, we thank you for all who are here. We thank you, Lord, that you're good, that you love us, that you desire, Lord. Uh, for us to hear your word. Thank you that the word of God is, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that it's preserved for us to understand, to read, to have today. Thank you for those men and women who gave their very lives so we could have the word of God for us in English today. And I pray, God, you bless not only the reading of, of it, but the understanding of it. God, help us to have hear, ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So on that road to Damascus, as we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, this man named Saul who was persecuting the church. The Bible says he wrought havoc upon the church because he believed the church was uh, a, a, a religious sect that were outside the, the will of God when he himself was part of a religious sect which was outside the will of God. Strange how that happens, right? But he, on that road to Damascus, the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 verse 4, and he fell to the earth, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go to the city, which it shall be told thee what thou must do. So Paul was saved. And that's the first part. That's the beginning of Christianity is salvation. I hope today that if you're here, you know you're saved. That's how it all starts. That's the beginning. That's the birth. It all begins that. If you do not know you're saved, you cannot grow in Christ. 
There's a lot of people in this world who think they're saved, but they're, but they're not. There's a lot of people who are going to stand before Jesus Christ at the end of time, and they're going to say, Lord, I did this in your name. And the Bible talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. I did this thing on your name. I, I cast out demons in your name. That's a lot. I never cast out a demon as far as I know. <laughs> he did many, many wondrous things in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So there'll be hundreds, I believe millions of people who will stand before Jesus Christ with the idea, with the thinking, with the hope, believing they're getting ready to enter in bliss only to find out that Jesus, the Lord of all, says, I don't know you. Depart from me. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. And reason, the main reason is that for that is they've been taught falsely the word of God. They've been taught error instead of truth. Dear friends, there is lots of error out there. I believe there is actually more error out there today than there is truth. On that information highway, which we call the World Wide Web, somebody recently went to Harvard and they said, what is WWW? And Harvard students, most of them could not figure out what WWW was. They said, weapons of mass destruction? No, not that one. <laughs> the World Wide Web. Even Harvard students couldn't figure it out. Remember World Wide Web, WWW? Oh, WWW. There's a lot of misinformation out there. A whole a lot of false teachers. They're up and down this road today. On this road, there's false teachers preaching, teaching behind pulpits, or maybe not pulpits anymore, but they're out there. But Paul wasn't just saved. He made the second decision, and I think that's, a most, that's the most important decision. But what's the second most important decision we talked about last time was to be surrendered. So Jesus can be your Savior, but secondly, the question is, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? See, Lord means master. It means basically what he says you do. You don't question when. You don't question why. You don't question how. You just say, Lord, if you want me to do it, and you know it's from his word, and that's what I would start, it's, God's, it's from God's word. You get wisdom from, from godly men and women, because there's profit and get wisdom from a multitude of counselors. It lines up with his word, it lines up with the, with the, with the, with the wisdom from other men and women. And thirdly, as I mentioned, it, you have peace by the witness of the spirit, the word of God, wise counselors, and the wisdom, the, the witness of the Spirit, you have those three things, you go forward believing if it's God's will, even if it means to go to Mozambique, Africa. We got missionaries going to Mozambique, Africa. We got a missionary, Lord Will, in the back, going to, hope, Lord Will, in New Zealand to, to, to uh, interpret to the deaf. We got them all over the world. How would somebody just all of a sudden say, I'm going to Mozambique, or I'm going to India, I'm going to uh, Honduras to st start a children's home. They have to know. They have to be surrendered. See, friend, if you step out and say, I'm going to go do something, but you're not surrendered to the Lord's will, you won't stay there very long. We were talking just the other night at men's Bible study about men and women who are called to the mission field, and they get in the door, and maybe they even get over there, but problems come because, dear friend, the devil doesn't want you telling people about Jesus, especially in a foreign land when it's dark. You think it's dark here? It's really dark over there. They get discouraged and they get defeated. And before long, holidays come and Christmas is, is coming. And Grandma says, I wish I could see the grandkids. 
And before long, that call to go to Mozambique or, or wherever it may be is all in the distance. And they come back home to mom, and those thousands and thousands of dollars that were spent to get to a person to mission field is gone. That can happen. But Paul, the apostle, was surrendered. And dear friend, the second thing we must do is not only be saved, we must be surrendered. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Seems to be surrendering and suffering go together. It's been said that only those who suffer much will be used much. Only those who suffer much will be used much. We think about Jesus Christ, how much did he suffer? And how much was he used and is being used today so that we could have a hope of heaven? So Paul was saved. He was surrendered. But thirdly, he chose to serve. He chose not only to be saved, he chose to surrender his life. And then the Lord said, okay, I want to do something with you. And we're going to be talking about, for the next several weeks, though, we'll have Brother Walker here. And a couple of weeks after that, we'll have the Academy of Arts. But the next several weeks, as I have the opportunity to preach the Word of God, we're going to be talking about how Paul the Apostle was used of God in a very special way. First of all, Paul was used as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was used as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did God use this preacher to change the lives of so many during his life? Well, first of all, Paul preached, his preaching was focused on relationships with God instead of outward religion. His preaching was focused on a relationship with God instead of outward religion. And we see that in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. First of all, what is baptism? Now, if you came Sunday school, you heard a little bit about baptism. Brother Pete talked about baptism in the Old Testament and how they came as the priest came and they washed and they cleansed themselves. They purified themselves before they actually went into the temple to give sacrifice and how important that, that was. But how the Hebrew word was, is different from the New Testament word. The word in the New Testament actually interesting means to be whelmed. You say, what does that mean? It means to be fully wet. It, we as Baptists do not sprinkle. We do not pour. You go totally under and totally back out. We believe in immersion. Immersion. What is baptism? We see it throughout the scripture. Baptism is an outward profession of an inward possession. It's an outward profession of an inward possession. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be ye baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You receive the, whole, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 9 verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptism. Baptism, we believe, is believer's baptism after a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, then they are 
baptized. And what does that do? That, first of all, identifies them with Jesus Christ, who himself was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Se secondly, identifies them with all the apostles, with all the saints throughout the centuries, centuries. Because as Jesus was baptized, and Peter was baptized, and Paul was baptized, as we read, so should we be uh, baptized. Because we identify with Christ, we identify with, with the church, and it identifies with, jet, with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So it is something that we believe as an ordinance of the church, which we have too as a Baptist church. We believe in baptism. We believe in communion or the Lord's table. Those are our two ordinances, our two practices of the Baptist church that we regularly try to fulfill. But spiritual baptism, some people get caught up in, what is spiritual baptism? Well, spiritual baptism occurs at salvation when we're placed into the body of Christ. Many things happen at the very moment of salvation. What is that? The moment you recognize you're a sinner and you place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from sin, you're baptized or placed into the body of Christ forever and ever and ever. Spiritually, you're always wet. Now, physically, you get dry pretty soon. You get that towel and you get change your clothes. But spiritually, once you're into the body of Christ, dear friends, you're always in the body of Christ. You're born again. You're saved. You're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So we see this word baptism, but only to only use this word baptism. He says, for I sent me not to baptize, which is important. But he said, more importantly, though in baptism is important, but more importantly, to preach the gospel. Now, what is, the, what is preaching? Preaching is the proclamation, the heralding of the good news or truth with the intent, not just for application, not just for knowledge, but for application, hoping there'll be change. This morning, Brother Pete, some of us have Brother Bob, others of you taught the word of God. That's to give knowledge, and that's important. That's very important. We come to church. That's why I believe we ought to come to Sunday school. Sometimes I do that on a Sunday night. Sometimes I'll do that on a Wednesday night. I'll teach. Uh, but most of the time I'll preach. Because the goal is not just to, for me on a Sunday morning especially, it's not just to educate you, which part of that is that, is that is, to, is to give you an opportunity to change. Basically, preaching is teaching with the hook in it. You're supposed to, you're, you're, I'm, I'm leading you to a place where you need, and hopefully you will, actually you will make a decision. At the end of this sermon, I'm, we're going to give an invitation. Now, you can decide to stand there and, and kind of think to yourself, well, that was good, but what's, what's Sonny's got on the menu? Or, uh, or, or the Mexican restaurant or some other place. Or you can think about, what did God speak to me about? And sometimes you make a decision right there in your chair. Some of you may come forward or wherever it may, may be. But preaching has the goal of changing lives. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went about, about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Acts chapter 15, verse 35, Paul and also and Barnabas continue in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord and many others also. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, verse 2, Paul told the Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, rebuke, exhort, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So that's baptism. That's preaching. But thirdly, as we see in this verse, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. 
the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Where there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know not that a good while ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles by the mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also receive, that wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory that I preached unto you, that unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all, that which ye also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried, and that he throw, rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul was saying, not that baptism is not important, but he's saying more important than just baptism, more important than just changing the outward or getting someone wet or, or the external, it's more important about the, the internal. And I meet a lot of people. As I talk to people about Christ, he'll come to me and say, I'll say, tell me about your life. Tell me about your religion. Tell me about your, tell me about your, your faith. And many people will say to me, I've been baptized. And in America, a lot of people equate baptism with salvation. But dear friend, they're not the same. You can be saved and still go to heaven. But if you only got up there and got wet, and never been saved, you're not going to heaven. You're just not. Baptism alone has never, ever saved anyone. And I believe there'll be millions, yea, there are millions in hell right now, who believed in infant baptism. The, whole, the Catholic Church used to teach that. They still do. Infant baptism. What did that do to that infant? They got their head wet. It did not change their spiritual condition, uh, position one bit. But many a man and woman and couple went to the priest believing if we just sprinkle the baby with a little water or pour a little water over their head or even submerse them, put them under and bring them back out, that they'll be in heaven. Dear friend, baptism cannot, never has saved anyone. Never has, never will. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ alone. Physical baptism cannot, has not, will not ever save anyone. And a lot of people get that confused. And you'll ask somebody, hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about your conversion. Tell me how you know the Lord. And they'll be quickly, quickly tell you, I've been baptized. The best thing you tell you, okay, you've been baptized, but if you died today, how do you know for sure you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Would you give me a Bible verse or reason how you know you'll be in heaven? And 99% of the time, they can't because they're trusting a work and no good work where there's church attendance, no good work where there's communion, no good work where there's joining a church, no good work where there's giving money, no good work like any other thing you can even think of can save you except for salvation, a personal trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's very important. So what was Paul's point? Baptism is important, but seeing people's lives change through preaching of the gospel, their lives change because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in life. Salvation through Christ will get you to heaven. Baptism alone cannot. 
it makes a difference. So Paul, what he was doing, he wanted to preach the gospel because the preaching of the gospel, the foolishness, as he says, of the gospel changes the lives of people. Most of us in this room this morning have been saved through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? You heard it when you were 5 or 15 or 25 or 35. It was some evangelist or some camp or mom or dad or brother or, or friend or uncle or aunt shared with you, proclaimed to you the gospel. It might not have been a red-faced Baptist preacher standing behind a wooden pulpit, but someone proclaimed to you the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they shared how God through Jesus Christ saved their soul and how you need to be saved because if you didn't trust in Christ, you'll be in hell forever. That's how on April the 15th, 1989, at 525 Taylor's Road in Taylor, South Carolina, Marty Moon, the rebel, heard about Jesus Christ, and by the grace of God, I'm saved because I placed my faith in Christ alone. I've been wet a few times before because a friends of mine got wet. That didn't do me a whole lot of good. I've been churched a time and walked the aisle many a times, and that was great, but it didn't do me a whole lot of good. But the day I was saved was the greatest day of my life. The greatest day of your life, dear friends, when you got saved. Paul wanted to make an impact. He wanted to make a, a change, see a change in people's lives. Many heroes, heroes, heroines we saw and we read about even today in 9-11. I recently read about a man who was, he was not a police officer. Thank God for all the police officers and all they did. He wasn't, he wasn't a Marine. He wasn't a, uh, he wasn't uh, uh, some type of, he was currently in the military. Though he had been in the Marines before. But you know what he was, Brother Bob? He was a chef. He was a chef. He was a chef at a, uh, a, a corporate trust fund on the South Tower. And we heard all the commotion that was going on and everything was about to happen. He was able to say they believe 96, I mean, uh, over 96 people from death in the South Tower in 9-11. He got able to get all these people off his floor. And he went back for one other person, one other lady who was in a wheelchair, and he never made it out. This man by the name of Benjamin Clark did everything he could to make a difference in the lives of other people. He gave his life. He saved others himself he could not save. That's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? He gave of himself even though he could not save himself. And that's what Paul did. He gave of himself, even though he couldn't save himself physically. We know ultimately he would die. So Paul's preaching focused on relationship with God instead of outward religion. But secondly, Paul's preaching was based on the word of God instead of the philosophies of a man. Look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Why did Paul not teach the wisdom of men? Of course, Paul was educated. He was educated by Gamaliel. He had the, the best learning in the, air, in, the, in the area. But the wisdom of men is the philosophy of the world. And dear friends, the philosophy of the world cannot help you. There's lots of different philosophies out there. I'll mention just a couple of them. Extensional uh, nihilism, which the idea that life can be, cannot have meaning and, and nothing has value. I'd hate to be that type of person. I mean, what's kind of like, what's the point of getting up in the morning, right? Right? A stoicism is a school that focuses on how to live in a world where things don't go your way. I mean, you know, what happens if it's raining? It's raining. Well, you just keep on going. What happens if, it's, if, if you have a, a sad day? Well, you just keep on going. You're just a stoic. Hedonism is the idea that pleasure or happiness is the only one thing that has value. 
Rationalism is the view that regards reason as the chief source and test of knowledge. Of course, we hear a lot about wokeism, which is society's cry that the problems of life is based on gender, the problems of life is based on uh, racism, and that's the problems of life, which if you study it, and I hope you do, it all goes back to Marxism. And all of it, dear friend, is a lie. The wisdom of men are all temporal. The philosophies of men will fade. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher of the past, he said, The whole drift towards modernism that has blighted the church of God and nearly destroyed its living gospel may be traced to an hour when man began to turn from, the, from revelation to philosophy. We believe revelation, which is word, the word of God, is more important than the words of men. The words of men will fail. The word of God is settled forever in heaven. Know this. Trust this. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Not Muhammad. Not any wise person. Their words will fail. A thousand years from now, nobody will care what Confucius say. Or Muhammad say, or Buddha say, they will all be gone. But Jesus' words will last forever. Last forever. Paul was preaching the cross. The truth of the word of God is permanent. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He focused on the cross. Colossians 1, verse 20, And having made peace through God, through the blood of, of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Dear friend, there's no greater subject to preach on than the cross. That's why we sing so many, so many wonderful hymns about the cross. We sing the old rugged cross. We sing at the cross, at the cross, all those wonderful songs where I first saw, when I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It all starts at the cross. So Paul, even though he was educated and knew about philosophy, he said, my preaching is not about philosophy, the wisdom of men. My preaching is on the cross and having a right relationship with him. So Paul's preaching focused on relationship with God instead of outward religion. Paul's preaching was based on the word of God instead of the philosophy of men. And thirdly, as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask a question. How can our knowledge of the Bible counter the philosophy of the day? So wherever you go, you're going, to have the, you're going to hear the words, the philosophies of men. You're going to, hear, you're going to have people, whether hey, every time you read a book, just about, every time you watch a movie, they're giving you their philosophy. They're telling you how, how they believe you should live. So, dear friend, if you don't know the truth of this book, you will fall for false philosophy. There's a false philosophy. Whoever has the most toys wins. How does Solomon do with that? He had everything. He was, he was richer than Bezos. He was richer than Warren Buffett. He was, he was richer than Bill Gates. He had everything at the end of, the, in the end of it. We've been reading in Ecclesiastes. He said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. So, dear friend, you can have everything. He had, he, had a, he had a few relationships, too. He had like 700 wives and 200 concubines. So you say, man, if I just had a husband and just have a wife, everything will be all right. Well, Solomon, he tried that. It didn't work for him. 
Some people think, well, man, if I just if I just have all the gold and all the possessions and all the things, everything will work out. No, dear friend. You can have all the gold and all the possessions and all the relationships and still die and go to hell. For does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? They said that when they, big, when they dug up the body of Charlemagne, that great king of England, his voice, they had a, his bony finger was pointing to that verse in the Bible. Charlemagne had it. He had power, he had nobility, he had strength, he had possessions, he had relationships. But dear friend, all that, none of that really matters unless you know Christ. With Christ, you have everything, but without Christ, you really have nothing. So how can our knowledge of the Bible counter the philosophy of the day? For he says in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You see, knowing the Bible helps us understand God's word today. That's why you need a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've been reading through Isaiah. Now I'm in Jeremiah. Isaiah, whoo, you read through it. It's got, it's judgment and judgment and judgment. Judgment's coming. But through that, there's some beautiful verses, some, some pearls, some, some words, great words of wisdom. What we read in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among the people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall be shall be hid. What was he saying? God's word and God's way is beyond what any wise person can even fathom. And he saw it for he saw it himself. Of course in 722 Assyria and Sennacherib came ultimately those men was going to destroy northern Israel because of because of Israel's sin. And eventually these Assyria would come down to the southern kingdom and try to destroy the southern kingdom, which was under Hezekiah. And you can read all about that in Kings, you can read about it in Chronicles, you can read about it in Isaiah. Interesting, they would have this man, uh, the Syrians had this man by the name of Rabshakeh. He was Harold. He would come to the city of, of Jerusalem, which was besieged by the army of Assyria. And basically he would say, hey, you see these other gods, all these other cities, they cried out to their God. Their God couldn't save them. Your God can't save you. And he would do that over and over and even spoke in their name, in, in their language, in Hebrew. He spoke it. You know, and oftentimes in life, the devil comes up to us and says, hey, you can't succeed in life. You're going to fail. No matter how smart you are, no matter how educated you are, you're going to fail in life. And you know, your own, you, know, you know your own frailties, don't you? We all do. We know our own weaknesses. We know our own fears. We know our own difficulties. We know our own temptations. And sometimes the, the tempter whispers, us, uh, whispers to us in the night, you're not going to succeed. And then you go back to the word of God. And Isaiah said, came to Hezekiah and said, you're going to have victory. Everything around you seems like saying to you, you're going to fail. The armies around you. Their herald says, we're going to destroy you. But God says, you're going to have victory. And you know what? The angel of the night, of the, the angel came in the middle of the night and slew 185,000 Assyrians. Hezekiah didn't raise up an army. You know what he did? He prayed. And God answered the prayer and destroyed the Assyrians and ultimately subnacred the king himself. And dear friend, the same God of Isaiah and Hezekiah is your God. And he wants to answer your prayer. When's the last time you pleaded in the middle of the night? You're going through personal problems or financial problems or, or, or all kinds of different difficulties. Dear friend, you have the same God. 
and he loves you and cares for you and wants to provide for you and help you. When's the last time you cried out to him, Lord, help me, help me? He did. But you know what? Having knowledge of the Bible will give you an understanding of that. Secondly, knowing the Bible helps us understand not just what God has done in the past, but you know what? Helping, knowing the Bible helps us to know what God's going to do in the future. I mean, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, I love these, these words, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now, does that make sense? Wolves and lambs don't, well, the wolf likes the lamb a whole lot. <laughs> the lamb don't like the wolf a whole lot. But the Bible says the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. When's this going to happen? During the millennium. But everything's going to go back to the way it used to be in Eden. The cow and the bear shall feed, the young ones shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the water shall cover the sea. In that day shall be the root of Jesse, which is Jesus, shall, shall stand as a sign for the people, and shall, and shall the Gentiles seek, and the rest shall be glorious." In that day, dear friend, all the philosophies of the world be gone. They'll be gone. And King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus will rule and reign this earth for a thousand years. Oh, it's been a long time since we had a great king. But never, this earth has never had a king like King Jesus. He came in as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. And we're coming back, dear church, to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Paul could say these things because he had a knowledge of the Old Testament. He had a knowledge of the Bible. That's why he could boldly say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed, no matter what they say to me. No matter what philosophy, no matter what teaching, no matter what belief, no matter what they think, I stand on the truth of the Word of God. And yesterday as we were passing out tracts, and in the midst of Pride Month and all their words and all their hate, I could boldly go to their door and invite them to hear the gospel because I know that salvation is not through their wickedness. Salvation is not through their lifestyle. Salvation is not through their, phil their philosophy. That salvation is only through the person, my King, Jesus Christ. And I had in my hands and the very words of God, which are the only thing that can help them. And dear friend, as you go out through society today, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. In the book of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, don't be afraid of, their, don't be afraid of the, way, the way they look at you. And I got some strange looks yesterday. I was dressed up like a cowboy going to try to get kids to come in church. <laughs> a lot of look, people look, looked at me like I was a crazy person. And dear friend, when you're living for Jesus, you're gonna, people will think you're crazy. Because you're a fool for Christ's sake. You're a fool for Christ's sake. But, dear friend, when it's all over and done, and done, the world thinks they're a majority with all their wickedness. But, dear friends, we are the victorious. We are the winners. We are the ones who know Christ who will be the winners in the end. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you know that? Do you proclaim it? 
day. You see, dear friends, we need holy boldness. The wicked crowd has holy boldness, don't they? They parade. They put up banners. They sing songs. We are the champions when they're actually the losers. They do all that. Well, we who know the truth must preach the truth and proclaim the truth and, most importantly, live the truth. Who do we talk about tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock when we go into work? Who do we talk about when we post something on Facebook? Who do we talk about when we go to family reunions? Who do we talk about when we have 4th of July celebrations? What do we talk about? Our talk, our conversation ought to be about Christ and what he's done for us. I read this last week on December 7th, 1941. Of course, that was a very historical day when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Donald Stratton and four other men were serving on the USS Arizona at Pearl Harbor. The Japanese attacked. The Arizona was sinking. And Stratton and four other men were trying to escape. There was a ship right beside them not too far. And some of the sailors threw a rope to the other side. Stratton and the men grabbed the rope and tied it to, tied it to their sinking Arizona ship. The thing was going down, so they had to hastily grab the rope and try to hand over hand take that rope and go over to another ship. They went over one by one, one over one by one. Stratton got to the, about the middle of it. The middle of it began to sag. And some sailor from the other side saw him struggling and said, Sailor, you can do it. Don't give up. Keep going. He thought to himself, oh, I'll just fall to this water and it'll be all over. But the sailor encouraged him to keep going. Stratton didn't know who that man was for 75 years till they went to a reunion. And there was a man there that he heard about whose name was Joe George. Joe George was the sailor that encouraged Stratton to get all the way to the other side. And if it wasn't for his encouragement, he never would have made it. Nobody knows about Joe George. But you know what Stratton did from the time he heard about it? Everywhere he goes, he goes and talks about that man who encouraged him, who helped him, who believed in him to get to the other side. He made Joe George's name known. Dear friend, what better friend do we have than Jesus? What better comfort do we have than his spirit? What better, what better, what better example do we have than the Lord Jesus Christ? We need to make him known. Not the philosophies of the world. We need to make the word of God known to others today. May I ask you personally, how are you doing that? Are you telling others about him? You found yourself wherever you are weak when people talk about what they're doing and their woke philosophies and the way they're living, the way they're doing, you find yourself weak and kind of mumbling and stumbling and getting away from the situation. Why not speak about what Jesus Christ did for you? You see, each one of us are different in the fact that we have a testimony, if you're saved today, of how Jesus Christ saved you. Why not tell it? Tell others what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. We have a message that's true and forever settled in, forever in heaven. Why not we share it with other people today? What's keeping you, dear friend, from affecting the lives of other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you, God, for the day. We thank you for your love and your mercy. 
Oh, how wonderful the preaching of the cross was in Paul's day, but how wonderful it is in our day. How much needed it was need, how much it was needed in Paul's day, but how much is it needed in today's world? How wicked it was back in Paul's day, but how much more wicked if it is, is it in today's world? Maybe there's someone in this, in this room who would say, Preacher, I know I've heard about Paul and I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know Christ as my Savior. There's never been a time in my life where I placed my faith, my trust in him alone. He's, <laughs> I know his name. I've heard his name. I've said his name, but I don't personally know him. Would you pray for me? With head bowed, eyes closed, maybe someone will be honest and say, I don't know Christ as my Savior, but I'd like to. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Maybe you made a decision. Maybe you were baptized, as I talked about. Maybe you walked an aisle. Maybe you joined the church. But you don't personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. I don't know Christ, and I'm willing to admit it. I need to be saved. Preacher, would you pray for me?